This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You know, this is a little bit different kind of a fugitive. I, you know, Ed Snowden comes up a lot in true crime stuff. And then I think some people don't understand uh, where to place him, if that makes sense. Um, as far as like, you know, is he a hero? Is he a traitor? Like, what is he? Sure. Um, they don't. Uh, yeah. People have been writing opinions about him for sure. Yeah, but this one is um, way less of a middle ground for me. So this is, this is a woman that I'm pretty sure most people will not have heard of. Her name is Monica Alfred Witt. She was born on April the 8th, 1979 in El Paso, Texas. Now, she goes into the military, the United States Air Force, in 1997. Shortly after she starts active duty, according to the New York Times, her mother died. And she was not much of a family person after that. So by 2008, when she comes into play, uh, we we don't hear a lot about her. She does have, her father's alive. He lives in Florida. She was having some trouble with her finances along the way in her military career. And she had moved into some pretty poor quality housing in Falls Church, Virginia, which was close to where she was based out of. And at one point it's even reported that she was homeless. Now what's interesting uh, about this particular fugitive is like she She's indicted, she's wanted, she's on all of the major lists, but she's very, very rarely talked about. So let's start out by just like talking about, I, I don't want to get to her crime just, just yet. Um, we'll, we'll get to them in a minute. So she is educated at the University of Maryland at College Park. She gets her bachelor's degree. And then she gets a master's degree from George Washington University. And then she gets her Persian language certification from the Defense uh, Language Institute. Um, her resume is online, so I've been able to verify like all of that is accurate. She 
works as a service member until 2008 with the United States Air Force. And she's deployed. Uh, she was assigned to, originally she was um, an airborne cryptologic language analyst and then later assigned to the Office of Special Investigations or the OSI, uh, which is uh, a part of the United States Air Force counterintelligence division. She was specifically a counterintelligence special agent um, up until the point that she left the Air Force in 2008. And she began to work uh, in intelligence as a military contractor. So joining the Air Force in 1997, she was a delayed entry program candidate. She So she goes in in August, but she doesn't actually go to MEPS till December. Uh, she goes through basic and she's given uh, a clearance of top secret and she ends up handling national defense information relating to foreign intelligence and counterintelligence uh, or human. And she is able to access like the real names of intelligence sources and assets and clandestine agents of the United States intelligence community. So from approximately February of 1998 to April of 1999, she was assigned to the Defense Language Institute. That's where she learned her Persian. And then from 1999, after that, in about May uh, to November of 2003, she was deployed several times to conduct classified missions and to collect SIGINT or signals intelligence, which in very short explanation is that's you're doing something to intercept communications during the early days of the Iraq war. Uh, she was an E six, uh, a staff sergeant, and she was assigned to the 95th reconnaissance squadron, which was stationed at Crete Naval base um, Crete as in Greece. So the war breaks out in um, March of 2003, and the following three weeks, there were major combat operations, and Witt became an aircrew member of a Boeing RC-135V uh, rivet joint. So for this award, uh, for this assignment, she's awarded the Air Medal uh, by the president at the time, George W. Bush, and that's a military decoration of the armed forces it's awarded for single acts of heroism or uh, meritorious achievement while participating in aerial flight. The medal is assigned, um, uh, this certificate, it says Staff Sergeant Monica Witt uh, distinguished herself by meritorious achievement while participating in sustained aerial flight from March 29th to April 18th of 2003. During this period, the airmanship and courage of Sergeant Witt and the successful accomplishment of these important reconnaissance missions in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom under extremely hazardous conditions demonstrated her outstanding proficiency and steadfast devotion to duty. The professional ability and outstanding aerial accomplishments of Sergeant Witt reflect great credit upon herself and the United States Air Force. So Witt transfers from Andrews Air Force Base in November of 2003 to Offutt Air Force Base. Now, so Andrews Air Force Base, if you're not aware of this, it's located near a little area called Morningside, Maryland. And Offutt Air Base is actually uh, south of Omaha, Nebraska. 
She begins an assignment there as an Air Force Office of Special Investigation Special Agent. She begins focusing on criminal investigation, and she eventually becomes a counterintelligence agent. So she is working, and her work is to continue deploying and conducting classified operations in the Middle East, and she was part of a special access program. Now, when you hear in movies, you know, spy movies, where they're talking about super secret clearances and stuff, most of those are designations under a special access program, which that's the security protocol for anything that's considered to be highly classified information. A lot of times it's just top secret, but they will file it under SCI, which is uh, special compartmentalized information, and they will create a special access program. In this instance, the information that she has access to is ongoing counterintelligence operations, the real identities of sources, and the real, which are assets or human um, and core collectors. And she also has identities of the U.S. agents that are involved in turning and recruiting those sources. So she retains access to the special access program, and she's actually the desk officer uh, for this program. And her access doesn't end, even though she's out of the Air Force in 2008, her access doesn't end until 2010. So throughout her service with the U.S. military, Witt deployed to Saudi Arabia, to Diego Garcia, to Greece, to Iraq, and to Qatar. Um, in addition to her Air Medal, she received three Air Force Commendation Medals and three Aerial Achievement Medals. And then she separated as a technical sergeant um, in 2008. So when you separate, you go through a refraternization and an administrative separation uh, order process. She's caught on record in 2013 talking to uh, the International Quran News Agency. And she talks about her desire to convert to Islam and pushback from the people around her in the military were driving factors in her decision to leave the United States Air Force. Now, for the rest of 2008, after she separates from the military, Witt works in Maryland for a company called Booz Allen Hamilton Holding Corps. Now, Booz Allen Hamilton is considered to be an American management and information technology consulting firm. They hold a high number of sensitive, classified, and important government contracts. So Witt goes there working as a defense contractor, and she consults on Iranian subject matter She's providing language and cultural specialization, according to Booz Allen Hamilton. She then moves over to work for Chiniga Federal Systems as a Middle, D Middle East desk officer who supervises, controls, and coordinates the execution of highly sensitive counterintelligence operations against foreign intelligence services worldwide. So when she moves from Booz Allen, at Booz Allen Hamilton, she's in a pretty sensitive position. But when she moves over to Chaniga Federal Systems, she is now in the real honest-to-God super-secret squirrel stuff. When she does this, she is considered to be a part of the United States intelligence community. But upon leaving here in August of 2010, she loses her top-secret SAP SCI clearance 
So her security clearance goes away. From May, uh, from the time she leaves in August of 2010 until May of 2011, she was working for a nonprofit organization called Amid East. This is an organization that's based out of the U.S. It works to strengthen mutual understanding and cooperation between Americans and the peoples of the Middle East and North Africa. They do a lot of learning and training there. Um, she submitted applications for 60 Iraqi Fulbright program candidates to multiple U.S. universities during her time there. So in 2012, she published two articles in George Washington University's International Affairs Review publication. And she ends up with a press TV, which is the Iranian state-owned news network's publication. There, they publish an article by Witt, which she accuses the United States Armed Forces of having a prevailing culture of tolerance for sexual harassment. Now, why would I be talking about somebody like this in terms of being a fugitive? Because she's a fugitive? <laughs> I wasn't I know. sure if that was a rhetorical question or not. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, figure, I figure it's a question people would have listening to me, like, give all this background on this person. You just said that, um, so you just said that she uh, wrote an article uh, where she was basically saying that uh, the United States military is a, what did you say? It, it's a community a that condone or that uh, allows sexual harassment. They have a tolerance for sexual harassment. The, the culture is prevailing and there's tolerance for sexual Oh, that's harassment. what it was, uh, prevailing. Um, well, and to that I say, is that a new statement that she's saying? I mean, of course they are like that. Was she just uh, saying it to be like, I mean, it wasn't a news flash, right? I don't think it was a news flash as much as it was like Captain a, a sign obvious. of things to come. Yeah, yeah, it's a little Captain Obvious. Okay, I'm just making sure because I was like, wait, why are they talking about that? Well, yeah, the the, uh, the military um, is made up of people who are in the military and some people in the military are going to have that quality about them yeah i agree 100 percent with what you're saying there and like i don't like so this is like one of those things like you and i can easily get into a position where like we're just bashing some particular organization I'm, but i'm not i'm not bad i mean to call a duck a duck i mean there's nothing wrong with that i'm just wondering like was well, there it, something more to her story or was she just stating that I, she basically wrote an article or a paper about it. The, uh, the gist of it was she is sort of testing the waters of what it's like for her to be outside of the United States. And the, the news organizations on the other side of this are not smart enough to realize that a staff sergeant in the Air Force with an admirable career is not necessarily speaking for the whole of the United States when, you know, when they publish these things, that's sort of the problem. So go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so she apparently uh, sort of turns a corner at George Washington university where she 
was doing her master's program, Witt's classmates described her as being withdrawn and quiet. And when she spoke about a military service, she described her career through drone strikes and extrajudicial killings and atrocities against children, which she was describing them very seriously and the problems that came with her colleagues in the military bragging about them. She seemed to be distressed by what she was, she coined or deemed gross incompetence by her superiors during her time overseas. All of this allegedly gave her insomnia. She described herself as an isolated woman who was conflicted about her sense of belonging and her self-concept. She basically was having trouble weighing who she was versus who she had been with the U.S. military. So in February of 2012, she travels to Iran. She attends an uh, international conference there that the subject of which is Hollywoodism and cinema. This conference is sort of designed to condemn the morality of the United States. It is very, very anti-American. It's also anti-Western. And by default, it ends up propagating uh, concepts of anti-Semitism and various conspiracy theories that sort of form in Iran a long time ago and then come out like Holocaust denial. The conference is orchestrated by an organization called New Horizon. Now, New Horizon is directly sponsored by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is a branch of the Iranian Armed Forces that was founded in the 70s on the order of Ayatollah Khomeini. The Iranian army defends Iranian borders and sort of maintains order in Iran. But the Revolutionary Guard is really there to protect the political system. It's almost like in the U.S., they would be like the constitutional guard. That's what we would call them. There was another uh, big name there, and that's Mike Gravel, who's a former United States senator. He said that the this conference that they attended with the Iranian guard there sponsoring it, he said they were very sophisticated. They've got these young, well-meaning people who appear – They're beautiful people. They speak English beautifully. They're here to do the job of intelligence work. And the primary point of this conference was for them to find vulnerable people and capitalize on it. Nader Talabezadeh was the organizer of the conference. And he later said that, in his opinion, Witt seemed like she was faking her exuberance for Iran and Islam. And he had actually pegged her as a potential double agent. So while in Iran, she is voluntarily video recorded identifying as a U.S. military veteran and making statements critical of the U.S. government. These statements, coupled with her conversion to Islam, are broadcast on Iranian television at the same time that she's there in February 2012. So as she is graduating from GWU or George Washington University, the FBI approaches with. And they let her know that she is on a target list for Iranian intelligence recruiting. Witt tells the people who are 
warning her and sort of interrogating her that she won't give any sensitive information to Iran. Within a month, Witt gets hired by an American-Iranian journalist and a television presenter named Mirzaya Hashimi. And she's hired in connection with the filming of anti-American propaganda movies that will later be aired in Iran. From 2012, summer of 2012 to summer of 2013, she was regularly communicating with Iranian Americans, a specific Iranian American that held dual citizenship and acted in ways consistent with being an Iranian intelligence operative. The New York Times says it was Hashimi, this this woman that's a television presenter. In her communications with Hashimi, Witt suggested that she might leak intelligence data to the media. She specifically says, if all else fails, I may go public with a program and do a Snowden. Those are Witt's words. She said she could also potentially defect to Russia. Um, And the quote there was, I just hope I have better luck with Russia at this point. I think I can slip in quietly if they help me. And then I could contact WikiLeaks from there without disclosing my actual location. These are Witt's words. So she attends another Hollywoodism conference at the uh, the Parjan Azidi Hotel in February of 2013. It's one of the biggest hotels in Tehran. While in Tehran, she speaks with Kevin Barrett, and she says that she had been involved in horrific war crimes with the Air Force and that she felt really bad about it. She also participated in more... Uh, anti-American videos similar to what she had done before. And beginning in July of 2013, she began to search Facebook for people that she knew who were former counterintelligence coworkers, including an operative who had been assigned to work with Wit on her previous special action access program um, and the spouse of another person from that same high clearance program. On August 25th, 2013, Wit emails Hashami. And she gives her evidence of her good faith, her genuineness, her qualifications, and her achievements from a government document, if you can't tell, as well as her conversion narrative. So the idea of a conversion narrative, usually in religious terms, it's like how you got there. So she also sends over a chronological work history and curriculum by Ty, and she sends her DD2, DD-214. Form DD-214 is your certificate of discharge from the military. Nine minutes after this happens, Hashimi forwards this email to an email address associated with Iran. And on the 28th of August, 2013, Wit boards a flight from Dubai to Tehran, and she texts, I'm signing off and heading out. I'm coming home with a smiley face emoji. And this is considered to be her official defection to Iran. Now, do you understand the concept of defection? Because I know this is like not necessarily up your wheelhouse, but I know it's like pretty easy. Well, I I do. I understand the fact that uh, while she was in uh, the United States military, you know, they she was sworn she swore an oath and because of that she got access to information and she has now uh gone home to another country 
Yeah, there's a lot of theater in military and political settings on all sides, everybody. And the theater is you're swearing this oath because you're only going to do this thing for, you know, God or country. Right, because you're, you know, people have to have access to um, information and um, it it really is theater. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm not very interested in this stuff at all. But. Well... I'm sorry dragging you down this one because we were doing fugitives and I didn't want to just keep going after like people who had escaped after murders and, and those type things. This woman to me is fascinating and she sort of, you know, she literally says doing a Snowden, which I, I thought that was so interesting. What do you think she means by that? Cause I feel like what Snowden did and what she's doing may be really different things. Well, I so. I genuinely think that she personally believed she was doing something in the realm of the right thing, which is more theater. When people like, you know, you're either doing good things, bad things, whatever, because you believe in them or because you think you're supposed to be doing them. In this particular case with this particular person, she has seen something that, either through reality or some level of confirmation by uh, uh, bias, she has sort of gone down this path and she's convinced that what the U.S. was doing was so wrong, the only way that she could live with herself is if she left and went somewhere she believed her information would be more useful by people who would not do what the U.S. did. Uh, Do you feel like that that belief is grounded in reality? I do not think this person should have ever been in counterintelligence under any circumstances for a number of reasons, because I don't think a lot of what she is saying here is any form of reality. Well, and so at the very beginning, um, it was mentioned that at some point in time she was homeless, right? Or it, she was or close to it, border, yeah. living in a car, living in friends. Yeah, and she had you know, like her mother had died shortly after she went into the military, like in the nineties, right? Um, and then she's got she's got some pretty good subject matter on her resume. Like it looks impressive, right? If you just read it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so my impression was, and I, and I've never heard anything about this woman until, you know, we were looking into it to talk about it here was, you know, there's a fine line between being a genius and being insane. Right. Yes. And, um, you know, a lot of homeless people, they, they suffer from mental health problems and I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case, but, uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't see her releasing like the information that she was privy to, um, in her position. I'm not sure that that would have been anything like what Edward Snowden did. Uh, can you bridge that gap for me? Well, okay. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Snowden for a minute. Um, and like, I'm not going to make the whole thing about him, but I, I, I will talk about him a little bit. The, the bare bones of Edward Snowden is he is a former computer intelligence consultant who leaked programs related to 
what I would call global and national surveillance. So what Snowden did that makes him so controversial is he leaked information no one else was really supposed to have access to that certainly wasn't supposed to be public information. Well, it wasn't the information he leaked. It was the fact that the government was collecting it. Yeah, I mean, so what, it's weird because like, so what Snowden exposed was actually illegal and unconstitutional. And people will say possibly illegal and possibly unconstitutional. I'm telling you, it was illegal. It was unconstitutional. Um, they, it's the use of the information that creates the problem, but it's also the fact that they were just collecting it. And that was one of the things that people seem to have missed the boat on is like, while the U.S. government was collecting and using a minuscule amount of this massive amount of data they were collecting, the reason that Snowden gets tossed up in the air as either a traitor or a hero or a dissident or a whistleblower or a coward or a patriot, depending on how you look at it, is – uh, our our whole government system, including everything law-related, has trouble keeping up with technology in the first place. Now, one of the things that like he sort of failed to point out as he went as he moved along was we are years away from being able to use this information. We don't have the storage sort or technological capacity to collect information on every U.S. citizen and make it make any sense. Well, that's what I think uh, my thought on it was from the very beginning. Like, yes, he exposed this. Like, because essentially what was being said was, like, uh, anytime the government wanted to access anything, like if you're talking on the phone, if they want to get into your email, like all forms of communication, they had a way to do that. And so it was being collected. But I immediately thought, well, they're collecting everybody. So it's useless, really, because there's so much of it, right? Yeah, and that's that's the problem that people don't understand. And that was actually recently brought up. because so So Snowden does what he does as he far as revealing. He wants to let everybody know that that's what's happening. So Right. So he reveals it all in 2013 and like he, he goes on the run. Um, he basically on, on June 21st, 2013, it was revealed that there were going to be charges against him for espionage and he is already gone. He flew to Hong Kong and then he, you know, basically he walked out the door in Hawaii from his job, dumped a bunch of information uh, including national security agency documents to different journalists. And he just bails on the whole thing. And like he, he will spend the rest of his life running and it will not be a great life. Now I will say that there was a case heard in, in 2020, which is known as the United States versus uh, Malin. It, this was an appeal by four Somali individuals that had been, they were convicted of crimes based on data that was obtained through these programs that Snowden had revealed. Um, it took years to figure out what to do with them, but ultimately uh, these types of collection of text messages, telephone data, uh, internet data, email data were basically ruled to be in violation of the foreign intelligence surveillance act. And while that was a Somali case, I promise if it's like good for the Somalis, it's good for the Americans uh, in terms of the U.S. government collecting all this data. Now, I will also say this about Ed Snowden. One of my problems with Edward Snowden is not the exposure 
and, and, and what he did. My problem with Ed Snowden is Ed Snowden never should have been a computer security consultant for any of these people in the first place. In all honesty, uh, he was what's known as an 18 by enlistment option in the United States Army. He was trying to be a Green Beret. Um, he did not pass, and they gave him like a little stamp of some kind of physical issue. I don't know exactly what it was off the top of my head. Um, and he ends up basically being discharged the same year. He then goes on like this campaign to get a government job. And, you know, he ends up getting a high level security clearance. He passes all the backgrounding, he passes all the polygraphing. Um, and, and he is like a low level person doing spook work. If you want to call it that uh, for the CIA, he ultimately does not need to be in this position. Um, he's not very good at it. He has all sorts of problems with sort of the, the moral and ethical dilemmas that would be faced on a daily basis. And that is what ultimately leads him through his path of working for Dell and Booz Allen Hamilton and being an NSA sub subcontractor that puts him in a position to give away this information. Now, if you're on the side of sort of global discourse and you look at the United States with a big question mark, which is possible to do, and we were at war, and I will just say that like, no matter what position you take on the war, there were definitely a lot of bad things going on on both sides. Um, I don't have anyone to defend there because of the way it all went down. So when she says that she is pulling a Snowden, she has seen something that is so unconscionable to her that it shocks her so much that she feels like she has to expose it. But she hasn't. Well, that depends on how you look at it. So here's what happens with Miss Witt. Uh, she makes her way over to Iran and immediately upon her arrival there, she's furnished with housing and computer equipment to facilitate work on behalf of the government of Iran. She promptly told officials code names and missions of uh, the special access program she was involved with and every other one she could get her hands on. She gave up information about classified U.S. intelligence operations against specific targets and from January 2014 through May of 2015, Witt used fake Facebook accounts to investigate intelligence personnel and to prepare dossiers and target packages for Iran to use to attempt to recruit other spies. She also gave Iran true names and of uh, various programs and uh, various activities of several specific U.S. intelligence community operatives. These disclosures are categorized by the, the FBI's uh, for national security purposes as having the potential to cause serious damage to United States national security. Whether that's the truth or not, we don't know. Well, because they don't disclose any of that. They just say she could cause problems. She's also alleged to have been involved in the questioning of 10 United States Navy sailors who were captured in an incident in January of 2016 between... It's basically an international incident between Iran's uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard that we talked about and the U.S. Navy. Um, basically, the Navy ends up in uh, Iranian territorial waters near Farsi Island in the Persian Gulf, 
and they season question United States sailors. Uh, it's a big no-no. It's, it's, it's literally an international incident. And allegedly, she's involved with that. So where she gets into a problem is revealing this information means that on July 9th of 2018, a grand jury is convened in the District of Columbia, which is very rare, by the way, for the District Court of Columbia to be doing this. They evaluate eight counts of essentially Title 18 charges, which means it's U.S. Code charges, that are brought against Witt and four other people. The sealed indictment ends up being released on the 13th of Fe- um, February 13th, 2019, and it details charges of espionage, fraud, aiding and abetting. She's alleged to have violated the Espionage Act of 1917, which is found under Title 50 at one point, but now it's in Title 18, which is the U.S. Code. Um, and then obviously fraud and, and aiding and abetting various crimes. As of February of 2019, Witt is a fugitive from the United States government with a warrant for her arrest. The U.S. government believes that she still uh, resides in Iran. And in April of 2019, Hashimi comes out and denies and having a hand in recruiting Witt and points a whole bunch of other places. But the, the gist of it is she is believed to be a part of a group that is a cyber warfare group out of Iran called Phosphorus. They're known as Charming Kitten. Uh, in October of 2019, Microsoft announced that Phosphorus had spent August and September attempting to compromise accounts associated with a candidate in the 2020 United States presidential election. So this would have been either Donald Trump or Mark Sanford at the time. And by 2021, some central intelligence officials believe that Witt had exposed their informants and had disrupted intelligence gathering in Iran. Iran. So we can talk a little bit about like the charming kitten stuff and some of the stuff they've done. But the gist of this is she's a fugitive who, in my opinion, never should have been working in U.S. counterintelligence. But she certainly, if she ever steps foot back on U.S. soil, she will be tried. I don't feel like she wants to do that. No. So it's the same thing with Snowden. You know, ultimately Snowden, as of 2022... He's been granted Russian citizenship. I was going to say, I think Snowden regrets his decision. (laughs) I know Snowden regrets his decision. You can see it in his face. I mean, there are some things about what Snowden did that were, like, correct and the right thing to do. But there are some things about what Snowden did that are just bonkers. Well. It's rumored that this group known as Charming Kitten. Now, they have other aliases. Uh, Microsoft calls them Phosphorus. Kaspersky calls them news beef. FireEye calls them Ajax security. Mandiant calls them AP235. And everything that I'm naming here, like Mandiant is a subsidiary of Alphabet. It's an American cybersecurity firm that's part of Google. Microsoft is obviously the Bill Gates company. FireEye is a part of Trellix, which is a privately held cybersecurity company. And then uh, Kaspersky is a lab that is a it's, it's a Russian multinational cyber security and antivirus provide antivirus provider out of Moscow, and the and even Iran sort of disavows charming kitten or phosphorus. But on December fifteenth of two thousand seventeen, this group 
is it, they're designated as a a nation state based advanced persistent threat. Now they don't seem to have a lot of sophistication. Uh, research over 2017 and 2018 suggests that how they operate is by phishing and malware uh, operations and intrusion campaigns. So you know they're sending things out where they're trying to they're basically trying to impersonate either company emails or company sites and and get access to cash like large amounts of uh, passwords and usernames. Now it's ironic that they they have Wit working there who says she's pulling a Snowden when they're basically doing what was called illegal by Snowden. Uh, can you tell me what you accomplished by getting a bunch of usernames and passwords? It's just access to information is the thought of it all. Uh, okay, so nothing. Not much of anything. So okay. in theory, Wit in 2013 is recruited by them. In theory. Uh, in 2017, there is a, a, a massive cyber attack on HBO. And there's a large-scale joint investigation launched where multiple countries, CIAs, are investigating how HBO was attacked. The, the reason that they all get involved, the FBI, the NSA, the DIA, the CIA, is it's on the grounds that confidential information is being leaked. There is a statement made by a hacker who goes by Sakut Vashat, which is Persians for silence of fear. They said that it, if if money was not paid, they were going to start leaking the scripts of television episodes, including the Game of Thrones. So the hack caused a leak of 1.5 terabytes of data, some of which were shows and episodes that had not been broadcast at the time. And HBO has since stated it would take steps to make sure that this would not happen again. So this is the type of thing they're doing. They're literally leaking television shows. I was just pointing out that that's nuts. But they do end up uh, indicting someone named Bazad Mezri for these attacks. It's alleged that he was a part of the operation unit that leaks this confidential information, which this is owned information. So this is a – for HBO, this is their bread and butter. This is how they make their money. Now, according to Sertia, uh, Charming Kitten had targeted U.S. officials that were involved with the – 2015 Iran nuclear deal. Now that's a, that's the joint comprehensive plan of action that was put into place in 2015. That was supposed to sort of affect how the world deals in the future with nuclear weapons and power and all the things nuclear that you can think of. So that's a time when like fishing, if you, if you, if you seem like you're fishing or scraping data from a huge number of us citizens, but you're really targeting these diplomats that are involved on the, the outer ring of this Iran nuclear deal, it would be hidden by the fact that you're targeting all these, you know, random grandmas and their AOL accounts. Is that, is that too far? Random. <laughs> these, these, these random people who still have AOL accounts. Oh, uh, what do you, I mean, the <laughs> man, it's wild, though, isn't it, that that's what they went after? I, I feel like all of this is, like, really overreaching. Um, by me? No, no, not by you. She, de she did defect, it appears, right? Um, yeah, yeah, she definitely defected. But um, it 
it's not going to matter that she defected. Uh, her intelligence was old from the jump, right? Yeah, that's the same problem with Snowden. Snowden got away with a little bit because he had information about a couple of specific ongoing projects. Well, and uh, there's nothing here that couldn't be undone. I hear, like, it sounds almost like they're like, we trained her and now she's using this, like, for, like, an offset of another country. And it sounds like that's where this is sort of stemming from. And I, I just really don't think she's going to be a problem. I don't. I, I just think it's interesting that this is how she ends up being a fugitive. Now, I will say. She was gone before she was a fugitive, though, right? I mean, they charged yeah, yeah. her in that sense. I mean, she got it. The indictment was handed down, but she was already living in Iran at that point. She's never coming back to the United States. The unsealing of the indictment, the names with actually names for Iranian people. And if you're out there and you hear me saying this for some reason, it's not on purpose that I mispronounce your name. But Bizad Mezri, who was the the guy over the HBO attack, he's named in Witt's indictment. Mutaba Masampur is named in the indictment. Uh, Hussein uh, Parver is named in it. And then Mohammed uh, Pariyar is named in it. They're all charged with conspiracy, attempting to commit commuter, computer intrusion, aggravated identity theft. And this is when they were... So it's in 2019 they're indicted, but ultimately... What they're indicted on there is these massive attacks that they're doing seem to actually have at their core getting the data of which former coworkers so they can log in to get current information, which goes with what you're saying. You're saying her intelligence is old, so they want to figure out ways to get at the new versions of her intelligence through her coworkers. Right, but uh, it should be like a waste of time. Oh, absolutely, it is. And, and the, the only thing that really... So in March of 2019, Microsoft actually took over 99 of their domains. Uh, they were basically trying to decrease the risk in the future of other cyber attacks or spear phishing is what they called it. Now, this group is also allegedly involved in election interference in 2019. Uh, according to Microsoft, there was a 30-day period between August and September 2019 where they made 2,700 attempts to gain information regarding targeted email accounts, which resulted in 241 attacks and four compromised accounts. Although this was deemed to have been aimed at a United States presidential campaign, none of the stuff they actually got a hold of in those four accounts was related to the election. So Microsoft doesn't reveal who is specifically targeted. But Reuters uh, eventually claims that it was Donald Trump's re-election campaign. And it, what would have happened? Can you explain that to me? They would have inside information that they would be leaking to media outlets for money or holding hostage if, over the candidate. If the emails had anything. Correct. Okay. But they were just doing it through Microsoft Outlook. Because apparently only the Trump campaign used Microsoft Outlook as an email client. I Honestly, I don't even use Microsoft Outlook. Do you? No. I haven't used it in years. I have a Hotmail account somewhere, but I, I don't use it. I don't um, use it either. Um, I feel like that's a stretch. I well, really feel like that is just ridiculous. I mean, well, they, they, throw this on, they throw this on wit's back. I'm just telling you what they do. 
Well, I just but, don't know what that would have accomplished. Well, so Mohammad Javad Zarif, who was the Iranian foreign minister at the time, he comes out and he just flat out denies any involvement in any kind of election meddling. He basically said, we don't have a preference in your election in the United States to intervene in that election. We don't interfere in the internal affairs of another country. But what he was really like saying there was, like, not only do we not care, we think they're all bad choices. <laughs> That's what, like, that's the gist of what he was saying, because he came on Meet the Press and, and had a whole interview about it. The cybersecurity experts at some of these third parties and at, at Microsoft, they maintain that Iran, specifically Charming Kitten, as this group is known, is behind this attempted interference, and they don't know why. But in October 2019, ClearSky re- released a, a report that supported Microsoft's initial conclusion, and in the report, details about the cyber attack were compared to previous attacks known to originate from Charming Kitten, and the following similarities were found. Uh, Similar victim profiles, um, targeted people all fell into similar categories. They were all people of interest to Iran and the fields of academia, journalism, human rights activism, and political opposition. Uh, time overlap, which verified the Charming Kitten activity was ramping up within the same time frame that these attempts might have been made. And the vectors of the attack were considered consistent, meaning there were similar methods where malicious agents are relying on spear phishing, usually by SMS text, where they send out 10,000 texts asking you to check your bank account, that type of thing. What does that accomplish? <laughs> it gets you login information, I guess. And they're still active as of August uh 2022, uh, Google's tag group, which is their threat analysis group, posted that they were still coming up with uh, new tools, but now they were they had moved on from Microsoft Outlook and they're trying to access Google and Yahoo and potentially AOL. I threw the AOL part in because that is how ridiculous this is. But the tool needs to target tr- credentials to create a session, and then they can use these old-style mail services to look normal to the server. They dump all of the victim's information and then they basically covered their tracks up. Uh, this tool was uh, uh, developed on a Windows platform, not for the victim's machines. It uses command line and GUI to enter credentials or other uh, required resources like cookies. It has to kind of prove that they're there. But overall, I will tell you, Monica Witt is the weirdest fugitive that we have had on our holiday fugitive episodes, don't you think? Well, we're not done yet, but I would say at least so far. Yeah, at least so far, she's the weirdest. I don't know um, if you if I saw some more information about where um, something was actually occurring, uh, I might think differently. But like at this point, she appears to not be a violent uh, person, and I am not entirely sure uh, that she's. She's done things that appears that make her like anti-American, uh, like you know, living in Iran, maybe being an Iranian citizen. I, I don't know, um, but I I just have a hard time. Um, like you you kept saying victim, and I'm like, well, who's the victim? Like, who is it? Right? The victim is a person whose information is being stolen, and they don't reveal that. Like, I have all these indictments in here. They're yeah. so boring. Well, and here's my thing, though. Like, who knows how many times people have read my emails. I'm sorry that I'm so boring, right? That's yeah. what I'm thinking to myself. Like, so 
Um, I think maybe I just don't have the experience um, of writing super important stuff in my emails to be uh, offended that somebody took the time to look through. I mean, I get so much junk mail. Um, <laughs> like, you know, if you're going to look at my email, good luck. Um, but it's just weird to me. So I feel like she's definitely weird and like, she's not on, she's definitely not on like the FBI's most wanted list. Um, right. Um, let me pull up her flyer. If, if you're interested in more information about Monica Witt, I will say the best source I've found for her is the Washington post. And that's because early on, um, they got like the most specific information about her and they have all the indictments there she is wanted. She's on the most wanted. She is not on the top 10 list. Okay. So she's just wanted by the FBI. That's, that's kind of uh, reassuring to me. Um, there are, so there was a process that happened, right. Uh, where the grand jury was convened, uh, a federal grand jury was convened and they handed down these indictments. Right. And, uh, there is information you can read about it. Like you said, it is incredibly boring, but, um, uh, so, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the grand jury found uh, information that led them to believe that she had committed crimes, right? Yeah. And so they've it, issued these warrants, and so if she ever comes back, you know, she should be arrested. I'm just not entirely sure. Um, maybe I just don't understand. Uh, we have more fugitives to get through, and sort of, I think, some of the through lines come up. I will say this about this woman's indictments um like reading the like the grand jury stuff some of it was leaked and some of it was released and unsealed because other stuff was leaked it reads like a teenage girl is mad at her parents and she's making new social media so they can never contact her again uh yeah sort of and it's also i do feel like she might be disappointed she didn't get more attention maybe um, for, well, for whatever reason, I, I don't know exactly why she would have thought that, but like, I, I don't, I still feel like she couldn't have, would she, whatever she said about like pulling a Snowden or whatever. I don't think she, she had didn't that. have that level of information right. overall. Like, you know, this stuff that she has is, is, is pretty rudimentary and, you Outdated. know, yeah, the, the main reason this is a crime in all of what's going on here is revealing identities and then revealing sort of methodology. But the crime comes in in that when you get access to this information, particularly the special access programs and anything that falls under an SCI clearance, you sign off that you understand the penalties, the preponderance of the evidence is the standard, and you will not be doing any of these things to jeopardize this information. doesn't matter what you think of this information. doesn't matter what John and Meg at True Crime Excess think of this information. If the U.S. government thinks that you violated something using any of this information or that you attempted to violate anything in the world using this information, even if it's just to stop Uncle Leroy's toilet from jiggling, you can be prosecuted, and these are the penalties. And they have to do it every single time to enforce yep. that principle, and I get that. But I feel like um, I, I'm just not sure that I'm understanding the overall reach here. I feel like um, it might be a little much, but 
I think I, I think they want her and they would prosecute her. I don't actually think this would be one of those cases that ended up with her getting life in prison. Even I think it would be a pretty boring trial. I can tell you that. Well, yeah, and I'm not so sure that they would actually. Um, I feel like this could actually be one of those things that backfired, um, just based on what I've seen. Now, they might be able to produce evidence that would, you know, convince a jury at a trial. But like, what if she did all this and then like they charged her with everything and she's found not guilty? Like, how does that work? Well, so <laughs> I, my opinion is. I do not think she would ever, how do I say this? I don't think she would ever see a trial like we think of a trial. I think she would be treated as a terrorist. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's what I think they would do with her. Somebody's got to see something uh, in all of this that I guess I'm just not getting. Uh, I hope, I hope they see something. Um, in order to put all these resources into it, right? Well, right. Uh, I just, I feel like um, sometimes people that are really focused on their job, uh, they can kind of miss it for trying. It's like, you know, missing the forest for the trees. Um, Because from like an outsider's perspective, I need a whole bunch more information. Um, before I'm going to be like, yeah, that that lady's a criminal. You need to take her down, right? Of course, it's not my job. So, But from an outsider's perspective, I do see what's happening here. And I, I do feel like there are more um, threats <laughs> that are uh, more dangerous uh, people that could be dealt with. Yeah. Well, I hope that Monica, wherever she is, is having a very... Mary Oliver. Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram at TrueCrimeXS or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at TrueCrimeXS at gmail.com and you can check out our website at www.TrueCrimeXS.com. We'll see you next time.
Happy holidays.